Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us a kind man who I've been having a little bit of a, a, a nice dialogue with warming up to the big leagues here, street smart success. He is a leading private equity sponsor guy doing value add deals, opportunistic, buying right, primarily in the, the smile states where all the action, all the growth, all the appreciation is Texas, Florida, Georgia, way north of a thousand units, uh, which is uh, not an accomplishment many people get to. He is the managing partner of Boardwalk Wealth. He is Omar Khan. Omar, welcome to Street Smart Success. Thanks, Roger. We've got a great intro. We can end right here and this will be a success. You know what? <laughs> I, I love the intro. It, it, it appeals to the ham in me. It's kind of like my daily 15 minutes of fame. Omar, I see you did schooling in Toronto, but I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to my podcast. If you haven't, you're with the lion's share of humanity for sure. But Khan, I think is most of the Khans I know, well, that aren't Jewish come from Pakistan. So what is your background? I, I always ask people that. I'm from Pakistan. Khan is basically a very common surname. It's a uh... Now, when somebody asks, as in, I say, well, Genghis, that's a obvious start, right? Genghis Khan or like the Wrath of Khan in Star Trek. So I'm from Pakistan. My family is a business family. I, you know, my family traveled around a lot. I went to school in Toronto. University of Toronto is a great school. Stayed back, did investment banking in Toronto, Calgary, worked in oil and gas. Moved out to the U.S. when I met a girl. And now we're here doing all this business. You said moved out of the U.S. when you met a girl or moved into the U.S.? To the U.S. from Canada. Okay, I got it. And so what took you to the University of Toronto? It's a great school. I didn't want to go to a small town in the middle of nowhere. So Toronto's a big city. Uh, I applied to a bunch of schools in U.K., Australia, Canada. And uh, yeah, I like the University of Toronto. I went there. And they also accepted me. That also helps. Small detail. Uh, <laughs> in what town slash city were you from in Pakistan? Uh, Rawalpindi. It's uh, it's it's right next to the capital. I see. Rawalpindi is the capital Karachi or or, no, or Islamabad. Lahore? Yeah, Islamabad. Islamabad. Capital. Yeah, I get it. Don't worry, man. It, it, Dude, you should have. We were all over the news from 2001 to 2015. How could you not notice? <laughs> I am absolutely embarrassed. <laughs> and now you're right. Now, now we can really end the, the podcast. Yeah, I, you, know I am... you were on the print media. Every single newspaper <laughs> was publishing stories about us. I know. Well, can, can I at least give it the I'm old card and so my memory doesn't serve me well? Uh, and the... I don't know. I mean, you have the rights to edit this so you can uh, present it however you want to present it. I, boy, I have egg on my face. I just, I don't even know. I got to pick myself up, get back in my chair and can continue this podcast. Was that your first 18 years and then University of Toronto? No, I was born in Dubai. So I stayed there for a few years. My dad was running a business there. Then we moved back to Pakistan. I spent about whatever, 15-ish years there. Went to Toronto, University of Toronto, Boston, Toronto, went to Calgary, 
than Dallas, where we are right now. In Dallas. And what, what kind of business was, was your dad in? So in the UAE, he was, uh, he was G's uh, partner there for gas turbines. In Pakistan, he was uh, dealing with military equipment. Um, oh, have you ever seen that? I don't know if you've ever saw cheesy 90s movies, but in Under Siege 2, Steven Seagal, but he's trying to save a ship like every movie that he's in. He puts out this uh, satellite phone, right? It's got a big satellite. You punch a key and number in. It was it was all the rage back in the in 1991. So it was that sort of deal. You know, you had to you lugged this little briefcase wherever, I guess, because they didn't have great cell phones back in the day, right? And it would connect to a satellite and you could dial anywhere in the world. I see. Why is it that I'm um, extrapolating that your your dad was rich? I don't know. But yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. I don't know if you were rich, but we weren't poor. Let's put it that way. I see. Okay. I got it. All right. So you were an investment banking guy, oil and gas. Why real estate? When real estate? And what in real estate? So look, why real estate is very simple. I, I like money and I hate paying taxes. So that's pretty obvious, right? I could be in oil and gas, which I was, which is another heavily subsidized, highly tax efficient industry. But, uh, that was a bit too volatile for me. Uh, why real estate? So that that's why. How did I get into this? Is same reason. I like money and I hate paying taxes. And so, and I had a good network, right? So I always, my family owned a lot of commercial real estate as well. So there was some familiarity there, right? But the bigger reason was I wanted to be in a private industry where I was running my own business. And as part of running my own business, the thing that was working in my favor was that I had a good set of networks growing up, personally and professionally, that over a period of time, I could tap to raise money for whatever I was doing and to begin the process, right? Because I could be the greatest analyst on the planet, but if I wasn't able to source money at some degree, nobody really cares. Makes sense. Uh, When you say family owns commercial real estate, you talking about it here or in other places? Oh, in Pakistan, Dubai, Canada, and now the US. Okay, and what kind of commercial real estate? Primarily, um, you know, like you have a class A like retail yep. and some motels, but it's basically the retails that really help them. It's, it was more like a way of them to put their money somewhere. It just so happened that luckily by luck or by whatever, whatever you want to call it, it just the value of those holdings grew enough. And real estate is very easy to pass on because it's semi-passive in a lot of ways, right? If you buy right. So that's why it isn't passed across generations as well. If you structure your affairs correctly. Look, if you have a business, which my family did, a lot of times, it's really hard to pass it on a lot of times because it requires a certain level of specialization. Certain fads might come and go, so your business might collapse. So, you know, there are other avenues where you invest your money, which are then easier to pass along as you pass wealth through various generations. Very interesting. Yep. Well, I'm I'm starting to think about my kids and, uh, you know, what, what we leave to them. I'm, I'm somebody that's always like worried about what's going to happen 30 years from now, but I'm already starting to think about that. And I kind of see the world the same way you do along those lines. Well, why did you move to Dallas and what was your like first step into doing uh, real estate yourself? Look, so what happened is when I met my wife, she was finishing up her residency in upstate New York. And as I joke to people and I tell them, if you hate somebody, send them to Syracuse. Right. <laughs> so uh, we made it a point that I moved there for a few months. It was the last year of residency, thank God. And we were like, all right, we're not staying in this dump. So <laughs> we were like, okay, I don't want to move to whatever's the Canada of the US. If I move to the US, I'm going to move somewhere warm. I don't want to move to another cold place again. Right. If I'm doing all of this, taking all of this pain. So really, it basically boiled down to 
SoCal, Texas, Florida, Southern California. I love Southern California, but between the cost of living and taxes and all of that, I was like, eh, whatever, right? Uh, Texas, I was kind of, I've never been to Texas, but I liked the idea of going to Texas. Maybe I'd watch a lot of Western movies and, you know, cowboys and all of that stuff. So I kind of liked the idea. I'd never been to Texas. And Florida, yeah, I was kind of ambivalent about it. I wasn't really hard on Florida. It's a great place. It just wasn't for me. So really, you know, when we broke it down that way, so then it was okay for going to Texas. It's really, you could go Austin, but we've always lived in bigger cities. So we were like, okay, we want a city bigger than Austin, right? It's really Dallas or Houston. So I went to Houston. I went to Dallas. We like Dallas. We moved here and we're very lucky and grateful that we've moved to Dallas. And then how I got into real estate is very simple. I had a good network. When I moved down here, I started looking around, seeing what uh, what I could do. And, uh, you know, a lot of times life is about uh, taking chances as they come, right? Taking chances as they come. Okay, well, then what was your first uh, real estate deal? So it was a 138 unit deal in Jackson, Florida, Lakewood Oaks. You know, we called the brokers. I, because, look, I was working in investment banking. I kind of understood the investment sales process, Right. Now, real estate isn't really that hard from an investment sales pretty much across the board is kind of the same. You got to make calls, you got to lock calls, you just got to stay in touch with people, develop relationships. So, you know, I did that for a couple of months and uh, then I got my first deal in Jacksonville, uh, 138 units, uh, Lakewood Oaks. We put that under contract, raised, I think it was four or five million dollars we had to raise. We raised that, uh, operated it. Luckily, we bought it at the right time. We had a good team. And we were able to sell it for close to 20% IRR in about two and a half years. So our investors, made, our investors made a lot of money. So what was the time frame of that? Two and a half years. We bought it, I think, in January of 2020, January, February 2019, sold it in uh, 2018 and sold it two and a half years later. Okay. All right. So that, that gives me a sense of, of, of the timing. And what was the vintage approximately of it? It was in the 70s. Okay. In so classy seventies Florida, have the subsequent acquisitions been similar to that, or have you gotten well, they've into been all over the board? Basically, I have class A's. I develop as well, so we're developing about close to a thousand units, all multifamily. So I, I own everything from seventies vintage product, eighties vintage product, early two thousand product late 2000 product and new developments, basically. Okay. So we go basically whenever we get a good deal and we feel we can make money, we're very agnostic that way. All right. Smart man. And is this all multifamily? You end up... I have some restaurants as well, but the bulk of my business is multifamily. Where are the restaurants? Florida. Florida. How do you, how do you, so you just have an operator there that you... Oh, I have teams, man. I have a big, big ass payroll, Roger. You know, it keeps me up at night. You know, people need to get paid and then they do their job. Uh, well, but I mean, you must have a general manager in each one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have managers. I have a leadership team above that. People report to me. I have accountants, I have controllers, I have marketing people, I have operations people. So they all have to report to me or, or whoever's one step above them. Interesting. How, how many restaurants and what kind of restaurants? So we're opening our third one uh, later this year. So that has about, so combined, we'll have like about 15, 20, maybe 25 employees there. Where are they? What kind? All of them are in Florida. Port Orange. Port Orange, Ormond Beach, and I should know the third location, Titusville. And where? Titusville. Oh, Titusville. Port Orange. Okay. And Ormond Beach. Yeah. All right. And what kind of food, man? Quick service restaurant, man. Uh, it's clean. It's a brand called Clean Eats. It's uh, healthy food. It's very popular. A lot of times we have both meal plans where people pay us money for meal plans as well as grab and go. You come, you go. And 
We do catering as well. And there's a bunch of other, two other line items there as well. Franchise or, or you're just... Yeah, franchise, franchise. You are an entrepreneur. My goodness, man. Boy, you've, you've got an appetite for doing a lot of things. That's impressive. Okay, fair enough, man. Uh, on the real estate stuff, are you still operating any stuff that you acquired or have you, you are? And where are those and what's the nature of, of them? Uh, Texas, Georgia, Florida, and South Dakota. South Dakota fits right in there. Yeah, it's right over there. <laughs> low cost of living, no state income tax, low cost of living, great demographics. You know, so that all we care about is do we get something at a good price and do we get paid on time? And if those two things work, we can figure out a deal, no problem. I see. How how did you find the deal in South Dakota and where in South Dakota is it? And how many Sioux units? Falls. Sioux, Sioux Falls. Falls, South Dakota. So we are developing about 1,200 units, yeah, more than 1,000 units. So we're developing about 1,220 plus units. We have 130 unit uh, development, luxury development coming online. We have uh, in the next two months. We have, uh, we have 48 units already online there. And we have another 144 units coming online in November and another about a thousand more units that are in the pipeline. And how I got it is because I met one of my partners at a conference. We did a lot of deals in the Southeast. And then, you know, obviously we looked at some of the stuff in the Midwest as well. And then we did some deals there. So this is all ground up in... in, in yeah, yeah, this in Sioux Falls is all ground up. Got it. Wow, man. And I, I think at one point they had a, just a ton of people moving there to work in oil and gas. Is that correct? No, that's North Dakota. That's all North Dakota. That's North Dakota. That's all the Bakken oil fields and it's all North Dakota. Okay, so so what's the trajectory in, in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota? Well, uh, I can tell you this because I, I said no for a long time because I didn't want to move anywhere to the Midwest and I'm kicking myself that I didn't go there earlier. Uh, they have consistently higher median income than the national average, higher median income than Texas, Georgia, and Florida. They have higher growth rate on their median income than Texas, Georgia, Florida, and the national average. They have a lower unemployment rate than Texas, Georgia, Florida, and the national average. And they have a more diversified economy than Georgia and Florida right now in terms of like the distribution of like how much does each industry contribute to the economy. So you say growth. Where the heck are people moving from? Minnesota, North Dakota, lots of other places, Iowa, Idaho, lots of people moving. These are the exact same questions I asked myself. And then eventually I told myself, you know what, instead of just saying like, I feel like I'm not going to do something, I should dig into the data. I should look into the statistics. Take, a, take an actual educated research, right? Instead of just kind of going off feelings and opinions. And when I did that, I got data from the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. It's publicly available, U.S. Census. They all pointed in the direction that I'm telling you. So that's why I put my money where my mouth is. And we put a significant portion of our own money into all of these transactions. Wow, man. Well, you know what? Look, I, I do the show because I learn. Is it a cool town? I mean, do they have a do they have a downtown area that's kind of got interesting restaurants and is it a hip factor and that just nobody knows about kind of thing? Well, yeah, look, all of these things that you're mentioning, all of the things that you're saying were all questions I had. And I real and I, I kept telling my partners, no, no, no. And eventually one day I was, I don't know what I was doing, and I realized look, the reason why I'm saying no isn't because I've done some analysis and I'm like, okay, this doesn't work, which is a fair thing to tell somebody, right? The reason why I'm saying no is because of my ignorance, my personal ignorance, right? And me being a snob because I've always lived in bigger cities because what would some city in the Midwest do for me, right? So my personal ignorance should not get in the way of me making money, right? <laughs> I would much rather be wrong and be rich than to be right and be poor, right? I'm with you. So when I actually dug down to the data, I visited the city, I'm, I'm, you know, kind of do all the research that you can do, right? Within reason, right? 
all of the indicators pointed to what I'm telling you they're pointing to. And this is all publicly available data, right? So when we look at that, we look at the demographics, we look at say, look, what are we looking for? Job growth, population growth, high median income, good demographics, landlord-friendly state, low cost of living, low taxes. These are the high-level items most people are looking for, right? It checks off all the boxes. So if it checks off all the boxes, then, you know, eventually you got to put up or shut up, right? Which is basically what I did. Sure. And I, and I would imagine that just from a general sentiment standpoint, and I don't know this, but my guess would be, is that the lion's share of people out there in real estate investing, the last place they would think about going is Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I'm being facetious, obviously. And we want to keep it that way. Exactly. We that way. Right. We don't, we don't want more people coming over here. We have enough competition in the Southeast, so we don't want more competition. Right. That's my point. And so it's it's probably something people just don't know about yet. But I look, I, in my mind, I mean, I would, um, I guess, kind of idealize a town like that as being actually pretty cool, probably super clean. There's probably... Oh, yeah, super. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, I live in an area where, you know, I have an opportunity to enjoy an enormous homeless population, increasing crime, drug abuse. It's not just that. It's also, you're in the Bay Area, right? Correct. Dude, I, my dad went to school in Berkeley. I've been coming to the Bay Area. My sister lives in the Bay Area, right? So we come every year. Man, I don't know what's going on, but it really hit me the last time I was there because now I was there with my kids, right? Have you just noticed, is it just me or have you noticed that it has become, so, maybe it's in just the Bay Area, it's socially acceptable to throw your trash outside of your car. <laughs> it's just the weirdest thing I saw because I was going through these streets and, you know, you're going from, say, Oakland to somewhere else, right? Or like, say, Alameda County, you're going down to Fremont, right? So, yeah, like, I mean, we've, as a kid and as an adult, I made that drive like a billion times. More times, like, you don't even realize you're doing that because it's just on autopilot, right? And then I was with my kids and I was with my wife. And it's like, I swear to God, this place did not have this much rubbish. Yeah, no, it's it's getting dirtier and, and everything that you're saying you know, I don't want to be overly dramatic, but it's kind of, uh, it's decomposing. It's, it's uh, regressing and not, yeah. So yeah, it's getting worse. No question about it. So, so the, the point is this, we, we've already beaten a dead horse. You know, damn well, this ain't going on in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. That That's kind of my point. And so, I don't think we'll accept. yeah, no, <laughs> ex- exactly. Right. So shoot up in the middle of the street and throw your garbage. Do, do you, what is your sentiment? Uh, this is, we're recording this beginning of May, uh, 2023. Uh, the wheels are falling off on a lot of multifamily deals in several parts of the country. Uh, sponsors are underwater. They're not going to be able to get refinanced, et cetera, et cetera. Um, a lot of people say prices still haven't come down to a, a reasonable level to actually have it be a good investment. You're doing new construction. Uh, So I guess, you know, looking forward to the rest of this year, next year, et cetera, what what do you think the opportunities are going to be? Well, first of all, if I knew that with clarity, I'd be a really rich guy, Roger. So (laughs) that being said, look, a big reason why we're doing developments is, is number one, we have a good pipeline, but also is the fact that we still don't feel there's enough pain, basically, right? Pain basically meaning that I can get a better deal on a lower price, right? So that's why we're able to do more developments. But the other thing we're seeing on our development side of our portfolio is that as a result of all this uncertainty, 
we're able to shave a lot of costs off because guys need work, crews need to be put into work. So earlier they were charging me a million. Now they, I can, I can kind of negotiate eight hundred thousand dollars. So a lot of the savings I'm having, I'm already seeing that in my development projects. Now with regards to acquisitions, yeah, there's going to be trouble. The longer this thing lasts, the worse it will become. Uh, but again, right now we just haven't seen enough distress. And that's why we're just doing developments right now. I'd love to do an acquisition. We've got money ready to go, but we need to get a deal, right? That makes sense. Mm, Interesting. That's pretty much congruent with what I am uh, hearing in terms of people I talk to and read and listen to and all that stuff. In terms of what you own, what are current challenges operationally, the the multifamily stuff you're owning and operating right now? There's only one property where we have some challenges. And the reason there is partly to do with the demographics, but partly to also do with the fact that that county has been really slow in evicting people. So now a lot of people have just refused to pay the rent because if they know they can't be evicted, people will just start doing weird stuff. And you see that very much in California as well, right? People squat, they, they, don't, they don't pay their rents. And then if you ever try to tell people, hey, you got to pay your bill, man, that's kind of the contract we have. You're, you know, some counties will consider you the antichrist, basically, essentially, right? So that's the only county, but luckily, or not luckily, I guess, for the county, luckily for us, a bunch of the owners in that county uh, have banded together to sue the county to force this because this is some weird sort of political agenda that they're running now that, you know, um, hey, you can consume all you want. You just don't have to pay your bills, which is I'm like, great. I would also like that to happen to me, but that's not the way the world works. You know, some, something tells me that in Raul Pindi, when you don't pay your rent, they, they just behead you. Uh, they don't really behead you, but yeah, you might be able to get kicked out of your house. <laughs> but you, 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 don't, you don't have to deal with a county commissioner telling you, hey, uh, you're basically the, you know, the second coming of the devil, basically, if you just want the money that you are owed to be paid back to you. Right. You imagine that. You're just saying, hey, man, just give me my money. That's it. I don't want any more things. I don't want to talk. Just pay me my rent on time. Yeah, yeah. I understand. Where is this property? How many units and vintage? I can- it's in Atlanta. It's 116 units in, in DeKalb County. I, I see. In, in built when? Oh, it's, this is in the early 80s. Okay. So I, okay. Oh, no, the, the, the property isn't an issue. The property isn't an issue. The rents aren't an issue. It's just that when you condition people to do dumb things, you can't expect smart outcomes. Yeah, yeah. Und- I understand that uh, phenomenon. How, how do you manage these properties? How do I manage these properties? Well, in other words, what I mean is third party or how do you approach it? I have a third party property manager that I give all of my business in the Southeast to. Uh, We consolidated that. Uh, Also, we have a great operations team. And uh, as you know, people of my background, we hate spending money. (laughs) I I love you already, man. I love you already. I already did before I said that. But yeah, I I, I get it, man. Well, that's a, a great skill. And then how, how have you financed these along the way? Well, we financed them with a combination of agency debt, private credit, our own money. It's a combination of these things. I see. You have any, uh, you have any uh, bridge? Oh, yeah. But nothing is due this year. The earliest is due next July. And then there's 2025 majorities. Yeah. I see. You, uh, you concerned? Not right now, but should I be? Well, I really make yeah, it well the answer is, yeah, if you're like a lot of others, yes. Um, there are a lot of people, as you know, whose occupancy is uh, declining, rents are declining, expenses are going way up, they're, and they're too leveraged, and so they're underwater, and it's going to be difficult to get refinanced. 
So, the, you know, that, that... Well, Roger, the short answer is we're always concerned and we're always depressed until <laughs> we sell something, <laughs> right? That's a short answer even in good times. But are you saying, am I more depressed now? No, I'm not more depressed, you know? You are a funny man to boot that, you know, I, I don't, I'm always, I, I always don't know what to say when I meet somebody as funny as you, because there, <laughs> there's so few of us left. I just, I, I, I'm always, it always hits me by surprise, but you are a funny man with a shred of humility and there's so few of us left there, but, but I, mean, I can't, I can't claim to be humble. I'm far from it, but all right. So, I mean, look, I, I get it. Like you're just looking for the right deal. And yeah. you're opportunistic. You stay somewhat uh, dispassionate. You're not dogmatic. You stay agnostic and every other cliche I could throw at you. But I, I really kind of get it. What, what, Roger, this is what I tell my team. This is purely a for-profit exercise. We have no, <laughs> there is no, I mean, tomorrow, if, you know, if I had one of those sandwich boards and I stand stood outside of McDonald's and made more money, I'd do that, man. I mean... This is purely a for-profit exercise. I, you know, a lot of real estate people somehow have this in their head. And, oh my God, it's real estate or nothing else. Or gold, gold bonds, right? Gold or nothing else, right? And yeah, we don't really feel like that. It's a means to an end. It's a purely for-profit exercise. And tomorrow something better shows up where we can make more money for us, for our partners, for our investors. We'll go do that, right? There is no like... Uh, there is no like agenda here, right? The only agenda is profit making. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. All right. That being the case, you're doing some restaurants, right? Because you saw an opportunity yeah. there, obviously. And so I guess what other things have come your way or that you have your eye on that look kind of interesting? You know, like what, what's the next shiny thing that you're like, that looks interesting. Uh, could be a, an opportunity to make a lot of profit. I don't know about opportunity to make profit because I think I have enough shiny toys right now. But, you know, I'm trying to make more money so I can afford better cars. I understand. Okay. All yeah. right. Better cars. Yeah. That also helps, right? Going zero to 60 in like less than three seconds helps a lot. Why did you decide on restaurants? Oh, that was very simple. I had, a, I had a great investor of mine. He was the CEO of one of the biggest food franchise companies in the Southeast. So he has a great network. We can tap into that. It's a good cash play versus basically my real estate holdings, uh, which are a combination of low cash, high capital appreciation, right? So I want, so that's, and you get, it's deferred gratification with real estate, right? You defer, 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 and eventually you have a payout in the end. With this, it's an instant gratification because every month you're getting a check and you're getting a check because it's more of a cash flow play. So you have to balance both ends of your portfolio, right? You can't just be all deferred gratification because, you know, who kind of never, who, what kind of person only wants to live for the future and not for today, right? So it's a combination of both things. Yeah, a much bigger man than me. So basically the restaurant, you saw an opportunity to make money now and, and it sounds to me like, Omar, that you kind of also decide on what you do in part, if not in large part, with kind of, like you said, your network, who you meet, what they're doing. You know, can I get along with this person? Do I trust them? Are they smart? And you're kind of, you're, you're kind of, that will guide kind of how you make decisions as well. Yeah, yeah look, our business is all relationship oriented, right? Like uh, we know people who, who've known us for like two or three generations now, right? So a lot of times we can pick up the phone, we can call them. I know their cousins, I know their aunts, I know their uncles, other people we know now, but now we know my wife knows their wife. We know their kids. So a lot of our business is just relationship oriented. Hey, do we know, can we hang out? Do we like each other? Can we work together? And I think when you're going down that path, a lot more doors open for you as opposed to 
uh, just, hey, everything is like like this, right? You've got tunnel vision and it's all numbers. I see. On, on the real, on the multifamily stuff, uh, the stuff that you have acquired, are you the sole GP or do you have other GPs in those projects? I am basically like three-fourths to like 90% of the general partnership. And if I have some partner, they are a minor partner on the general partnership side. But we do have people that uh, do various roles for us, help us raise money, provide some balance sheet support for us from time to time. So, you know, we have partners along the way also. Without my partners, I wouldn't be here. Got it. But it sounds to me like the onus is largely on you to make sure to, to manage the whole process. Because oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the buck stops for me, basically, for better or for worse. Okay. And I, I shouldn't say that. It's not just me. I have a great team with me. I'm very lucky to have them. So we have to set the tone, but our team still have to execute on those directives. Uh, directives. Do you have full-time employees as a team or do you just have yeah. property level no, I, people? Man, I have like 10 or 12 full-time employees on my corporate side. I see. Do, do you, you guys virtual? Do you guys all meet in an office? No, no, no. I, man, I hate going to the office. My teams had an office and I never showed up to the office. And thankfully COVID happened and then we got rid of the office <laughs> and I'm like, office again. Right. I hate the office. I always dislike going to the office. I don't even get the point of going to an office. I understand. Um, what would you say along the way or like the, the key lessons, you know, biggest mistakes that you would never do again? My biggest mistake is my father should have been more rich. That was, that was how you, you should have. Well, you, it sounds like it was a damn good start. You said you guys grew up. You know, I got a good start. Yeah. I'm, you're saying what if I could go back <laughs> what I do, but I'm saying I could be better. I see, right. Yeah, I hear Right. You. So definitely having a richer dad or mom or uncle really helps. Right. Richer is the operative word there. Right. So that helps. And what was the other thing? Like, what, what could I do again? Or no, what, big, what, biggest, what? biggest mistakes. Oh, biggest mistake was man not moving to the U.S. earlier and not starting my own business earlier. I see. Yeah. yeah. If I moved to the U.S. earlier, I'd be way richer. Yeah. And I would meet way cooler people, basically. Is that right? Really? Oh, way cooler people. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In, in the U.S. than Pakistan? Uh, I wouldn't say that completely because some people I met here are, I don't want to meet them again, <laughs> but that's the case with every place. No, I, I love living in the, man, I travel a lot. I love uh, living here. I grew up on a very healthy diet of American culture. So yeah, for me, it's nice. I kind of meet a lot of people and I get to enjoy different people. And then we hang out, we travel, we go to various things. So ah, what's the worst that could happen? Okay. So here, here's the question. So, so from your background coming from Pakistan and then you lived in Canada, which is kind of the U.S., especially Toronto, what is your take on America from a global perspective, the U.S.? Oh, it's great, man. Americans just like bitching because they haven't stepped outside of their own country. Yeah, really. You know, when you're used to being number one for so long, you don't realize how absolute shit it is everywhere else. <laughs> right? <laughs> Because you get used to it, right? Think about it this way, right? It's like if you're only used to driving a Ferrari and then somebody gives you a high-end Bentley, of course you're going to bitch about it. It's not going to be a Ferrari. But you don't realize it's still fucking Bentley, right? <laughs> I mean, chill out. It's still a quarter of a million dollar car. Relax, right? It's that sort of thing. Oh my God. I had a feeling that you were going to say what you were going to say. Obviously not the, not the way you said it, but you know, I, I think that, and that's not what, this is not what this podcast is for. However, I think that our society is become one of just massive entitlement 
And, oh yeah, dude, we see it all and, the time. Yeah. yeah, and and people don't have the remotest clue how good they have it. Um, you know, a friend of mine in the hotel business, Paul Patel. That's oh, a, I was going to say, is he a Patel? Yeah, obviously. Well, that's like yeah, saying, yeah. is the sun yellow? Yeah, I mean, of course. Yeah. yeah. So I think the Patels own like 70% of the, the hospitality business in the world. But he said that, you know, somebody, I forget what it was, because this was a conversation a long time ago, but it was his dad or his brother. You know, somebody in, in, in when he was living in India, Somebody needed to have a serious operation and I, it was, it was kind of like brain, you know, a brain operation, you know, or uh, a heart. I mean, it was like, not like, you know, a bandaid on your finger. And he said, man, in India, you got to pay cash. You don't have cash. Well, sorry, can't help you. Yeah. Yeah. You can't do that, man. Yeah. So, um, people just have no clue. It, you see it by Weiss, the Peter edition, right? We see it like... It, it's funny. For when we met initially, when we were dating, she used to bitch and complain that she would have people. And this is this is not hearsay. This is a literal thing that's happened because I've seen it myself now. She would say that people would come to her with when she was a resident. They were wearing new shoes, new clothes, latest iPhone. And she's a doctor. She makes good money, right? And she's like, they had a newer iPhone that I had, and yet they would come. And then they won't even pay their bill on time. They would literally come and say, as an example, hey, do you know the, you know, hey, why don't you write as an example a prescription giving me this specific machine? It runs on electricity, right? For my child. And my wife's like, well, you don't really need that. And then eventually she figured out the reason is these people, again, this is an example. People don't pay their electricity bill. Their electricity gets cut off. But if a doctor gives you a machine that has to be run on electricity, then the electricity company is forced to turn your electricity. Oh my god, it's, it's it's small shit like that. You're like, dude, you have time to spend money on your iPhone. You have time to spend money buy new clothes, new shoes. Come on, man, get your shit together. I mean, this is not that hard. Nobody needs to explain this to you. You know, five dollar macchiatos at, at Starbucks, yeah. and oh my god. And there's nothing wrong with it, by the way. If you can afford it, there's nothing wrong with it. But don't bitch that you don't have all these other things while you're doing all this other crap. It doesn't, it doesn't jive together. No, I, no, no argument, man. We, we're in a very entitled society. You know, it's not, nothing's fair. It's not a hundred percent fair. You know, I, I get it, but we're still in a country where if you work super, 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 super hard, you have a chance of becoming very, 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 oh, yeah. very successful. Oh, no, no. And when you hit it big in the U.S., hitting it big in the U.S. means that the next hundred years your family doesn't have to work. Yeah, right. <laughs> because you can hit it big in a lot of other countries and it's not the same level, mm-hmm. basically, of hitting it big. Right, so. Right. Yeah, people don't really get it. This is why when people bitch and complain, I was like, I don't know what y'all are complaining about, but please keep doing that. We need less competition. <laughs> <laughs> Omar, how does one uh, get a hold of you? If they want to oh, find man. out what you're doing, participate in the next deal, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, well, that's really simple. You can join my mailing list by going to uh, my website, boardwalkwealth.com. Uh, the form is right on the homepage. Again, that's at boardwalkwealth.com. Got it. Jo- join Omar and the empire that he is building. <laughs> and only, But only if you're not interested in making money, don't go to that website. No, no, please don't. Do <laughs> All right. Omar, I will touch base with you again and hopefully we can uh, catch up in a year and, and have you on Street Smart Success again. Thank you so much, sir. Have a good one. You got Bye it. for now. Bye.